0: Frazier went home to be with the Lord. Um, she was in a car accident, and uh, she went home to be with the Lord. And so Jamal and the family certainly uh, need our prayers um, during this time. And it certainly was a, 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 one of those phone calls you get that you're just stunned. And Jamal got one of those knocks at the door from the police on Friday evening. And so uh, we need to be in prayer for the family. And so this morning, I want to try and be help to the family. Um, and to our church. So I'm going to read a couple different places in Scripture this morning. Uh, First off, Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, and then I'll also be in Philippians chapter 1. We did not want to put that, I talked with Jamal when I was with him, we decided not to put that on a prayer chain. Um, and for a c- couple of reasons, uh, we did not want that on the prayer chain. One, for uh, just the nature of the church, this is, this is one of our members. And those who were closest, they did get phone calls from me yesterday, I called them up to let them know of, of Linda's passing and, and talk with Jamal. He preferred it not on the prayer chain. And so we decided to do it at the service. Besides the fact that we're having a great deal of trouble with the prayer chain right now. And probably less than half actually would have received it. Um, so we decided for the service. But Proverbs chapter 27. This is a very, very true verse. Verse number one. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Look over in Philippians chapter 1 with me. Philippians chapter 1. Just a couple of verses here I want to look at, starting in verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and for the Christian here, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet I will not what I shall choose. I, uh, uh, excuse me. Yet what I shall choose, I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. Lord, we thank you for the comfort that you give and the grace that you give and the strength that you give when we need it. Lord, the events of this past weekend are no surprise to you. Lord, you knew exactly what was going to take place and what was going to happen. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me now to be a comfort to the family, uh, Lord, and to our church. And so please guide. I pray you control my words, what I say and how I say it. And Lord, I pray especially if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, that even, even this morning they repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Linda will certainly be missed. She was one of the most enthralling personalities of our church. I believe she was talking with Jamal yesterday. She started attending apparently about right after I really started debütation. Um, he was trying to remember, He was just a little boy at the time, but it appears somewhere around 2003 ish, 2002, 2004 ish, they started attending Independent Baptist Church, and she has been here and been a mainstay. With a, 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 I think a brief time in California uh, since then, and that was it. The life that Linda lived was very challenging, if you knew her story. She was a survivor. I remember several years ago, shortly after I began pastoring, Jamal was having one of his mini-surgeries. And so I was at the surgery center. It was just me and Linda were there. And that was the first time I began to hear many of the different stories she has of her life. From being shot, living in a shelter, telling me about her family, and just on and on and on, listening to that. I told Jamal yesterday, I said, I said, you know what, I think Peter is hearing all these stories right now, and he's trying to pass her off to an angel right now. I think that's what he's doing. Linda was also, got to know her, very thoughtful. Uh, I remember she found out that I liked peanut butter cookies in a conversation one day. And, and apparently there was a business in town that she knew of that made really good peanut butter cookies. So there are certain times, a couple times a year, I'd have those peanut butter cookies sitting on my desk that she would bring in when she was by that place of business. It was a thoughtful gesture, one that always put a smile on my face. As you know, Linda had many health troubles uh, um, taking place from her knees and, and battling different sicknesses. But you know what, right now she no longer has bad knees. Her living situation that she was so concerned about, that we even texted about even this, just a couple days before she passed, is over with. She has a great place to live right now. I listened yesterday as some of her family were talking how Linda would encourage them. I was listening to one of, uh, one of Jamal's cousins yesterday, and uh, it, it, it encouraged me to listen to this. She was saying how she was going through a difficult time, and, and um, she happened to be on the phone with Linda. And how Linda just started giving her verse after verse after verse to try and comfort her. She certainly loved, she loved her family. She had a great love for Jamal, as you know. Her and Jamal were very close. She had a special connection that I I learned more about yesterday with Kyrie, her granddaughter. Kyrie was with her much of the time. It was a very sweet connection that they have, and I certainly enjoyed hearing about that yesterday. But what took place on Friday evening was her appointed time, which we all have. It was no surprise to the Lord as to what took place. It was almost, and and talking with Jamal, he wasn't exactly sure, but in the neighborhood of about 20 years ago when she placed her faith in Christ. At that moment that she made that decision to repent and place her faith in Christ, she was saved from eternal judgment, and Christ became her Savior and, of course, through his death on the cross, her substitute in judgment. When a Christian dies, of course, the knowledge that we have that they are with the Lord gives great comfort to family and friends. I've mentioned it before, but I remember when I was in PNG and g and I was first started attending the funerals when I was in New Guinea. And to, to be at a funeral where there is no hope, to hear the wailing that takes place, that level of sorrow that is there was, was... I could hardly even speak when I witnessed it. And we certainly have sorrow during a time like this, but as we're going to see later on, even in the message, it's not a sorrow without hope. So I want to briefly... Look at two things here this morning. The comfort for the family, for the Christian, for our church. And what we need to consider when something like this takes place. We read in our text, and it was verses yesterday before I left and prayed with Jamal and the family that was there. I read from Philippians chapter 1. And and we talked about it for a little bit. And I said, you know, he here's the Apostle Paul. I said, understand when he wrote this... Um, in in his mind at the time, and it was a very real possibility, he was going to be executed. Now, it happened, it it worked out to where he was not executed in that imprisonment. It would be the following imprisonment where he actually gets executed. But when he wrote the epistle to the church at Philippi, that wasn't settled yet. It was very likely that he was going to be executed. The church was very concerned about him, and they, and they even sent a man we believed. We, he was even the pastor of the church to go and check on Paul to see how he was doing and see how can we help you, how can, what can we do for you. And then Paul saw his great concern, and he wrote back to them this. The section that I read was dealing with the fact that he knew he could face death. He said, you understand, he said, number one, if I live for me, to live is Christ. Great. But to die for the Christian is gain. It's gain. He goes on to say in verse 23, he said, really, for I'm straight betwixt two. This is what he said, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, which it is. I mean, what the Lord has waiting for us, just the again, as Paul also elaborated in other texts, we can't even comprehend all that the Lord has for us, and I am so grateful for that. So this morning, when I want to make a cup, two statements to try and be a comfort to our church and to the family of the unexpected loss of Linda. The first is this. Linda's life is not over. Her spirit is with the Lord. As we know, those who have placed their faith in Christ, the Lord gives unto them eternal life as the Lord talks about in John chapter 10. And they shall never perish. This isn't just some little fable, uh, fable that's been made up uh, to try and give some type of fake comfort in, in how we deal with death. None of that is true. There's a creator of the universe. Look around you. This isn't just a random act of the cosmos that has taken place. There's a real God, a real creator. He's in control, he's there. Our sin had separated us from Him, and and God, in His mercy and in His grace and in His love, He had to develop a way that He could save us from that coming judgment that would hit because we sinned against the holy and just Creator. And in so doing, by providing that salvation, He provided a means that we could actually be with Him forever. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What happened on Friday is simply this. Linda changed residence. That's what took place. This earthly tabernacle was removed. It was gone. She is now with the Lord. She has a new place and she is doing great right now. I remember it was uh, amazing how the Lord worked on this. I was in New Guinea, and it was, actually, it was shortly before I left. It was, uh, I think, two years before I left. And I came in for the Wednesday night service to preach at the church at Soho. And I was preaching that night at Soho. And they had a, and I've told this this story before, but it has been several years. Many of you probably have not heard this this yet. And uh, one of the mothers there's name was Elizabeth. And she was a sweet lady, godly lady, and had, had never missed any of the services. Her, she, when I would met her, she was already a widow. Her, her husband had passed away many, many years even before I got there. And she had, two of her oldest were twins. She had two, her oldest of her sons were two twins. And she had gave the prayer request that one of them was sick. And if they're bringing up in a prayer request in New Guinea, it's serious. It is. It's, it's, not, it's not just they have the sniffles or whatever. It's something more serious. So, anyhow, that night when I left church, we were leaving with my family. We were in the car, and yeah. I was about a kilometer just away from the church to a 30-minute drive to get back home. It's, it's just about completely dark out. Because, the, because we were equatorial, our daylight never changed. It was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So I did the evening service on Wednesdays at 5 p.m., so finished right when it was getting dark. So I was heading out, and I heard this big clunk, 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 and I knew something, apart just fell off the truck. It wasn't running different, but I had, I had so many parts just fall off the truck. The road was horrible. And so I had slowed up, and I'm trying to find what part it is, and turned around, I got the, and then I could see it. It was, I kid you not, an enormous bolt. Uh, huge. Huge. I was like, oh my goodness. So I put that bolt in my car. I mean, it was, it was huge. I had no clue what it was to. I'm not a mechanic. Um, everything I did in New Guinea I was, wasn't even able to do until year seven when YouTube became available uh, on, on Internet. We never had cell phones on Internet there till then. And so, so I, I went back home that night. That night, early morning, I got up. I would finished devotions, and I thought, well, before I get into my study, I, I need to find out about this bolt. And there was a man in the work in Soho who was a mechanic, and so I drove down to see him. And uh, we went in, and, 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 and he looked at, got underneath, gave him the bolt. He knew exactly what it was. It was what helped both the frame and the car together. And he's sitting there. He's, he showed me. He says, look at this. He goes, he goes, I cannot believe this bolt fell off. He goes, usually when I remove these, I have to get a, a, a torch you know, and, and heat it up so I can actually loosen this bolt. It took him all of one minute to fix. He just simply put it back on there, fastened it. I was done. All right. It's about seven thirty eight in the morning. So I'm pulling as I pull out I'm in a village called Namroldu at the time. Sohon is the next village down. And it hit me right as I was turning, wait, why don't I go and see Desmond, one of the twins who they'd asked prayer about that was sick. And I want to use for two reasons. Desmond had been out I haven't seen him in church almost since I arrived. And so I said, well, I'm going to go see Desmond to see if I can talk with him. So it was just like a five-minute, ten-minute drive down the road. So I went down there. As I pulled in, I actually saw Desmond. He was outside. And that's how they spend it. They don't use their houses like we do. Your time is, the only time you go in their house, they're very simplistic, is just for sleeping. And so I saw him. And as soon as I saw him, even from my vehicle, I knew, oh, he is really, really sick. And so I went and I sat down. His twin brother was here. His sister was here. His mother was over here by me. And I decided to use this time to get into the gospel with, with Desmond. And so I'm going over it with him. And, and when I get near the end and I'm telling him what Christ did for him, the tears were just coming down his face. And I knew it. He gets it. He's getting it. And I finished it and I said, Desmond, would you like to place your faith in Christ? Yes. Yes, I would. And Desmond made that decision to place his faith in Christ right there. Now, in about two hours from that moment when I was there, his mom was taken up. We have no doctor down where we're at. There was no doctor where we lived. Five hours from us, though, there was a a doctor that was up there. She was going to take Desmond up to that doctor. They were going to leave close to noon, which they did do. And so when I left him, 30 hours later, he would be dead. He would be with the Lord. Amazing, the Lord threw that bolt off my truck. So that morning I would be there so that man could hear the gospel one more time before he went to be with the Lord. When I was with the family, they have what's called a house cry when somebody dies. And the whole village comes to the house cry. Many times it lasts for several days before the funeral takes place. And many, for the most part, the family outside of maybe 30 minutes here, an hour here, just will not sleep. And so I was at the house cry, and I was talking with Elizabeth, the mom, and she was grieving. And, and as I was talking with Elizabeth, I told her, I said, I know this is a very difficult time. I said, let me try and help you. I said, let's say, Desmond was about 24 years old if I didn't mention that. I said, let's say Desmond came to you last week. And he said this. He said, Mom, I have a great job opportunity. It's perfect. Where I will be working, there is no sickness. There is no pain. There is no need for a hospital. There is no crime. There is no sin. It is the perfect city. And I've been offered a job there. It's a place where I will have more joy than I've ever had. It's exactly what I want. It's exactly what I need. This place, though, is far away. I will see you again one day. As I know one day you will move there too. And I said, now Elizabeth, you would have sorrow because he was moving to a faraway pl- place, but you would have joy knowing where he was. Listen, right now, Linda, again, as I mentioned, led a life that was very challenging. But she's obviously in a much, much better place. She is doing great, better than she Ever has. And Jamal, your mom is doing great right now. The second statement I want to give. Think about this. This is very true. With the possibility of only two exceptions. Even if Linda had the option to return, she would not. Uh, Let's think about why that is true. Simply because of the glories of heaven and the ability to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just think for a second what she has already seen. Those incredible angels that God has created. Those mighty creatures. Just that the idea of the throne room of God this incredible place when it's in that it's not until that time that we that we'll actually get the full knowledge because we have we have we live in this sin cursed body this this sin cursed mind that we have right now it's not even until then that we can fully understand the purpose of our creation before God but all that will be realized in that moment and in that moment Linda realized that the very moment she was in the presence of the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that state, that perfectness, the battle of the flesh over with, gone. You will not want to return from that. Being able to talk with some of the, those heroes of the faith in the Bible. Getting to see them, having them pointed out to you. There's Paul. There's David. You know, there's James. Joseph. And of course, when you come into that amazing presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jamal, she's seen all that. This poem was written by a father whose daughter had died and went, went to be with the Lord. He wrote these words. It's called, If They Could Write, meaning those who have passed on to heaven, those who knew the Lord as their Savior. It says, If they could write, what glorious news they'd have to tell. If only they could write today, those who have gone afar to dwell, where all the glorious spirits stay. And fancy then I set it down, what Marjorie would pin for me. I've touched the hem of Jesus' count. The way they did in Galilee. And thinking thus, I am content to bear the loneliness and wait, because I know her days are spent in the company of heaven's great. Obviously, there's only two exceptions that any person would even dare consider to come back if they could. That would be simply to comfort those who are hurt by their loss, to tell them it's okay, I'm doing great. And secondly, I do believe this, to be much more of a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now those are the statements I wanted to give as comfort to the family. Now, what this should lead us to consider... I read Philippians chapter 1 and then Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. That was true on that Friday evening when a police officer showed up at Jamal's door. When I saw the the missed call and the voicemail from Jamal, I had no no way I was expecting anything of the sort when I called him back. It is a time when something like this, though, that we are to consider. Turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, please. Chapter 7. Psalms, Proverbs, and then the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter number 7. I just want to look at one verse. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. It's at times like this, especially during a death that we were not expecting which many in here have faced. At the times like this though, not only do we need the comfort that the Lord gives, but we need to take this as a time to consider to consider the the little time that we do have that none of us know. There's not a single one Listen, we've had we've had what two this, the, the funeral will be up and coming here in a few days. As we have details about it, I'll give those out. We're just not certain yet, but probably later on this week in the Saturday or sometime. we'll go for, and, and as soon as that's available, we'll let the church know. It'll be the second funeral. But both the funerals we've had this year, neither were expected. From Pat's brother and, of course, Linda. It is a time, though, when something like this takes place. As Ecclesiastes points out to us here, that we need to consider... Why is that? Why is it true? Why is that verse true that it's better? Basically, it's saying this, that it's better for us when we go to this funeral that we're going to have than it is for you to go to a party. And that's true. It's much better. Why is that verse true? You see, because it's when you when we have this funeral here and you're looking at that casket, it will cause you to consider. Why is this verse true? I'm going to give you two reasons that are drawn out here. The first one is this. Ironically, it is death that teaches us how to live. It is death that teaches us how to live. And then I want to look at how... Secondly, what we need to consider, death is all of our destiny. There's not a one of us in here that's going to escape it. Not one. But it is death that teaches us how to live. I've, I've made this statement before. Death is a much better preacher than I am. It is death that help us, helps us really to take things to heart, to begin to consider as the point that I'm trying to make. Even as a preacher, it is my job every time I preach, then when I stand before you to proclaim the Word of God. What I'm trying to do is to get it into your heart, past the knowledge where you, you get a grasp of the sense of awe of what's there, the truth of it, where God's Spirit begins to put it there and work on your heart, begin to mold you and change you and conform you. Well, when it comes to death, it is something that really, when you're being considered, helps you to take it to heart. It is death that allows us to put life into perspective. So often we let so many things of this world trouble us and worry us and consume our time. They don't even come close to deserving any of our attention. It's death that reminds us of that. We get stressed and worry over things that in the end just don't matter. The truth is, ninety over 90% of what we fret about, of what we worry about, never comes to pass. And the 10% that does, the Lord is more than capable of handling in your life. When we see the loss of someone close, someone that we loved, it helps us see life in a much better perspective. To try and focus on what's really important in life. To begin to set aside differences that don't really matter. It's here that we learn the value of time. As it tells us in Proverbs 27, boast not thyself of tomorrow. The seconds we have are so precious. Time goes so fast. I mean, even if we live to be 85 or 95, that just goes so fast. I mean, I am 53 years old. It's just, it's just amazing. It, 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 in my mind, it's like I was just 17 years old yesterday. Richard, you're how old again? 83? 84 years old. Went fast, didn't it, brother? It did. And know what I love about him? He's still serving. Hasn't stopped yet. Amen, brother. But even if we get 84 years, 85 years, 90 years, that is nothing. It goes by so quick. The devil is great at getting us not to redeem our time as the Bible commands over and over again and stresses redeeming the time. Use it wisely what you have. Understand the importance of the relationships that God has given you. That's where the value is in life. Not in things that don't matter. Listen, when you die and it's your funeral, more than likely that person that gave you the promotion at work is not going to be there. But your friends and family will be. Each second that passes, you will never get it back. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 90, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It is death that gives us pause. And and once again, we remember how precious our time is. Because you don't know when that's at your doorstep. I, I hope you don't mind the text from yesterday. Uh, yes, I read a text. It, it would bring me to tears. Uh, Sharon had taken Enoch out. Just Enoch. Went to the store. And for those you who know the story, you remember what happened when Heidi, who died, had taken Enoch out. Just Enoch. And, and when she came home with Enoch, um, Daniel had just said it reminded him of that day. He said, thank you for coming back. You don't know when that knock's going to be at your door. Your time is short, and you don't know when it's over with. Don't waste the precious time that you have. The amount of people that use this precious time that we have, every second we have, and, and many will choose to live it in bitterness. It's almost like they start to take comfort in being miserable. You're wasting the precious seconds you have. You have a life given to you from the Creator. Use it wisely. It is death what begins to reveal to us what is important in life. So when you come to a funeral, you realize that the dead take nothing with them. As I was going over this yesterday evening, and then again this morning, I was reminded of that for something it captured whatever the world's attention. It was fascinating why it did, but the submarine accident and the billionaire who was on it, not a penny went with him. It was done. It made me wonder, I hope he was saved. If he's saved, that's fantastic. Amen. But if he wasn't, know what comes to mind? Luke 16. I wonder if he's not like that rich man that perished and found himself in hell. And know what he was begging for? Somebody to go to my family. Let him know that this eternity is real. That hell is real. You see, if that's where he is right now, or he was in heaven, he knows life isn't about money. And if he is just like that Richmond, he'd give it all away in a heartbeat if he could do it all over again. What you begin to see what's important in life is the relationships, those that God has put in your life. I even appreciated that the the relationship that Linda had maintained with her husband. Unique. Because it's not an accident, those that God has put around you. Appreciate the relationships you have. Again, instead of seeing, there was a parable that Christ told. I want you to listen to this. I'm, I'm going to use an application of it, not necessarily the primary purpose of it, but it fits. Do you remember the parable of, of, of the man who went and found the treasure in the field and he bought the field? To get to the treasure, he had to buy the entire field. Within that field would have been weeds and garbage and all kinds of stuff, but what he focused on was the treasure. Too often we can focus on the weeds and not the treasure of the person. We are reminded of the importance of our relationships when it comes to the loss of a close loved one. You begin to see the vanity of all that we do apart from God. And lastly here this morning. What else we need to consider? As I mentioned, there were two things. This is number two. Death is our destiny. One day it will be you. Please don't think that you have another 50 years... You, haven't, you don't know. You have no idea. Again, we're going to be having a, a funeral in just a few days. And when you go to a funeral, you'll get an accurate preview of your own future. Death is a time to consider. To consider, this will be my end. Don't dismiss that thought because it's difficult. Don't dismiss that thought. Well, when it happens, it happens. You had better be prepared for death. It will find you. As the Bible tells us in Hebrews nine twenty it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. <clears throat> in Psalm 23, the psalmist, one of the most popular psalms there is. For time's sake, I'm not going to go there and turn there right now. But what we read as we go through Psalm 23, and its connection with death is this. He knows, number one, God is his protector. God is his provider. He knows that when death comes, he is ready. You see that in verse 6. The question is, are you actually ready if death finds you? And I mean that both for the Christian and for the one who has not been converted. Are you ready? You, you need to remember this. Death is not an end of existence. The word actually simply means separation. That's all it means. It means to separate. If I was to, if I was to take my notes here and separate. The Greek w- uh, word that we use for death, that it comes from the root word, means to separate. That's all, it doesn't mean an end of existence. It means to separate. So I, I don't understand that. You see, you are dead. Not when your heart stops. It, it, it's, you are dead the moment your soul separates from your body. You're now dead. That is when you left. Not until that moment. It's when the soul separates that death occurs. It is not an end of existence And the Bible speaks of the possibility of facing two deaths. All of us will face that first death. This physical death of the body. That will occur. But there is a second death that's talked about in the Bible. That one you need to avoid. That too is a separation. That's not a separation though from your physical body. That death is a separation from God. That death is a separation from God in this very real place, hell, lake of fire, that God never created for us, but He did create it for the angels that had fallen. And apart from what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, you will face that second death and be separated from God for an eternity. And yet God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So He made a way possible for you to escape the second death. If you die and you stand before God in judgment, you are guilty. You might not like to think that. You might like to think you're a pretty good person. But when you stand before God, we know from Romans 2, we just looked at it this past Wednesday, God is going to judge you based on His law. And you will be found guilty. Matter of fact, Romans 2 makes it clear. They're all perishing. You will be found guilty. If God judges you, you are guilty. Please hear this. God's requirement... Isn't that you're basically a good person? That your good works somehow outweigh your bad works? None of that is true. It's not true that you're going to go into purgatory and that I could buy some candles and pray you out of purgatory. It's a complete lie. It's it's vile and it's wicked that preys on people. This is what is true. God's requirement is perfection. If you're to escape that judgment, his requirement is perfection. Then you say, well, preacher, that makes no sense. Then nobody would go to heaven because none of us are perfect. You're exactly right. No one is. This is why the Creator Himself, understanding He is holy and He is just, and yet He loved us, He, wanted, he, he wants to be, He created us to fellowship with Him. And yet He knew when He created us and gave us free will, He understood that the fall of man would happen. So He knew, if I'm going to do this, I have to provide a way of escaping that judgment. And He did just that. And it's amazing. Know what He did? This is how much he loves you. He himself, the creator, became a man 2,000 years ago. The Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Why did he do that? It's incredible. He did it to save you from that judgment. When he became a man. So he's on the earth as a man. Think of the humility, the humbleness of that, that he was willing just to do that. The creator almighty, mighty who spoke this world into existence, was willing to humble himself and become a man, a baby at that, to be born into this world. He had to learn how to walk and how to talk. This is the creator. He walked on this earth 30 some years. And you know what he did? Listen to me, don't miss this, please. He lived the perfect life. As a man. So in all of human history, even when it's all said and done, in all of human history, there is only one that will be able to stand at the judgment day as a man. And the Father could say, you are innocent. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who lived the perfect life. Now listen. He lived the perfect life for you. He was living that life for you. You see, I don't understand that. Let me explain it. It's not, this isn't, there's so few today who actually grasp what we mean by the statement that Jesus died for you. All of us have heard it. We just don't get it. The devil has confused it. He's manipulated it. We, we, don't even, we don't even understand. We claim we believe that Jesus died for us, but yet our faith is in so much else other than Jesus Christ. And I assure you, salvation is in Christ alone. Listen to this verse. It explains it perfectly. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Now, let me explain that sentence. It's dealing with God the Father and God the Son. For God the Father hath made the Son to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, it goes on to say. He was perfect. And then it continues, that we, you and I, might be made the righteousness of God in him. What it's teaching us is this. Follow me. When I tell you that Christ died for you, because judgment is coming and it's very real, and God's not believing that any should perish, He had to come up with a way to save you because He loved you, and this is the only way. See, that's narrow-minded. No, just think about it. This is what satisfies justice. It's impossible for there to be multiple ways. We have an eternal God who is holy, who is just, and His justice must be met. We like to look at it through our sinful minds and our sentiments, and we want to change who God is. Yet he has provided a means of salvation that is a free gift that will save all men. And if you choose to reject it, you will find yourself judged of that holy and righteous God. When Christ died for you, you can put your name up here. And underneath this will be, the Bible talks in Revelation 20, Judgment Day, the books are going to be open. One of those has your name on it. And every time you've broken God's law is there. So when you stand before God in Judgment Day, the book is open. Bam, there it is every lie you told, every wicked thought you had, all of it's there. It's recorded. And you know, I'm guilty. You're not going to say anything. There is no trial. It's just God showing you, here's your guilt. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Your name, your guilt. But over here, on top of here, let's say we have the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no sin here, no condemnation No transgression. Nothing but righteousness. That's it. The one life that can go to the judgment day and meet the standard of the fulfilled law. But when we say that Christ died for you, which he did, the verse said this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. When I say Christ died for you, what you can do is you can take your name. It's over here. You can take your name and remove it and place it over here. You can take Christ's name, remove it, and place it over here. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gives you his perfect life. He died for you. Now get this. Jesus is God. Death didn't hold him after 3 days and 3 nights. He defeated death and rose again from the dead. He defeated it. You won't. If God judges you, you can go to hell. You're not God. You're there. So the question is this, how do we switch these names? Two key words in in Scripture throughout, from Genesis through Revelation, repentance and faith. You turning from whatever it is you've been trusting in, seeing what Christ did for you, and you making that decision to place your faith solely in Christ, realizing, wait, if God judges me, I am a sinful, wicked, vile person. I will be guilty. And you see what God did for you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you make that decision to place your faith in Him. That's what will prepare you for death. That's salvation from that judgment. With heads bowed and eyes closed.